Hey, if you're newer with us, we'd love to connect with you. Head on over to your app store and download our Prodigal Church app. There you'll find our virtual connect card. Go ahead and fill that out and after service, come to the info kiosk. We'd love to meet you. We are so excited to celebrate Christmas with you guys today. If you didn't see on your way in, Santa is here and he will be ready to take pictures with the family right after the service. We've also got our train ride and hot cocoa, bounce houses and treats out there. So stick around after service and enjoy the Christmas fun. Our Christmas Eve service and Sunday, December 26th will be all online. So cozy up with the family on the couch and enjoy church from home. You can find the videos on our website or the app and we will see everyone live at Bullard January 2nd. Hey there PC Kids, for our Christmas Eve service we are going to have our videos online under the PC Kids tab. So make sure you go over there and check those out and also for the 26th when we're doing church from home you'll have your Sunday morning videos there as well. Have fun and Merry Christmas! What a great blessing you have been to Prodigal Church and beyond through your generosity this year. If you'd like to make a year-end gift, you can do so by using the giving kiosks in the foyer, the giving boxes on your way out, or online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Your giving makes such a difference, bringing God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Join us in welcoming our PC kids for their Christmas performance. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, Prodigal, and Happy New Year! It's the most wonderful time. Merry Christmas. Welcome to Christmas Sunday at Prodigal Church. I love Christmas. I love all things Christmas. And one of my favorite parts is uh, the letters that kids write to Santa. Here's a few that I found that I think are just so great in spreading holiday cheer. The first one says, Dear Santa, when, I was, when it was Saturday, I thought I would try and be good for the whole winter vacation, but it seems like I did not succeed. Will you give me a present anyway from Sophia? Maybe she's British, it's like, but alas, I did not succeed. Dear Santa, please text my dad. He has my whole list. I love you, XOXO, Tennessee. Dear Santa, if you want to grab a beer, feel free to get the whole lot or just one. P.S. The fridge is near the door from Flynn. And then Santa responds, just one was great, thank you. That's great. Letter four. Dear Santa, how are you? I'm good. Here's what I want for Christmas. HTTP colon forward slash forward slash www.amazon.com and then we go from there. Well done, kid. And then finally, dear Santa, how are you? And the reindeer, I am doing fine. I want a new game and a football because my little brother always tries to steal mine. He may look sweet, but he is the devil. I also want a remote control truck, love, Evan. That's a run-on sentence, Evan, okay? I think you're gonna be getting a grammar book for Christmas this year. It is a beautiful thing to read these letters, and there is this innate sense that Santa is good and that Santa loves them. And it is true, Santa is good and Santa does love them. And we as adults, we don't write letters to the North Pole, we don't reach out to Santa we reach out to God and like our kids, we hope that God is good and we hope that God loves us. And God is good and he does love us. We are much more childlike than we think. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life eternal life. 
You've seen this verse written on signs at football games or TV shows or tattoos or even people's faces. It was the verse that I put on my letterman jacket in high school. I have had this verse memorized since I was a teenager. Many of you have had it memorized for even longer. And this morning we're going to look at just the very first part of this beautiful verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Uh, this verse is often used to refer to Good Friday, the day that Jesus died on the cross. And then Easter, the day that he was resurrected. But this verse is not predominantly an Easter verse. It is a Christmas verse. When Jesus says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, he's not referencing the cross. He's referencing the manger. He's not referencing the crucifixion. He's referencing the incarnation. When these words were spoken of Jesus at the beginning of John's gospel, it was long before his death and resurrection. He's drawing their attention to the fact that God loves you so much that he left heaven to show you. God shows up in human form. The incarnation declares that you matter, that every child matters, that every person in your neighborhood matters, that every person on planet earth matters to God. The gospel doesn't begin and end with the cross. It begins in the manger, it culminates in the cross, and it ends with resurrection. God is good. He does love you. Christmas proves it. For God so loved the world. The Greek word here for world is cosmos, where we get the word cosmos. And it means the inhabitants of earth, men and the human family. Everyone is included. Jesus is announcing that God's love is for every person. If someone ever told you the gospel, and in their telling of the gospel, they tell you that God loves some people, but hates other people. They didn't tell you the gospel. No, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is this audacious, scandalous claim that God loves everyone. It, it, the incarnation, that first Christmas, declares your worth. You are worth the God of the universe becoming a man to show humanity what God is like, to show the world that God is love and that you are deeply loved by your creator. That's what Christmas tells us. And because we have such worth to God, that should propel us to live in a way that affirms the worth and value of every person. For God so loved the world. It's not so God for, so love me and the people who agree with me. Everyone matters. Everyone has value. It, if, if you coming to know Jesus isn't good news for those around you, then you haven't encountered the risen Christ. You haven't accepted the gospel. If John 3.16 only affects your eternity and it doesn't affect how you treat people and how you see people, then I don't think you understand John 3.16. Every person matters. This is the earth-shattering truth of Christmas. The lonely matter. The poor are loved. The God of the universe is in love with shameful people. With you, with me, with our enemies. And it's true. And that really is the most amazing part of Christmas. Is that 
this story is true. It's not just magic, it's majestic. It's not just something that changed history, it's something that changes reality. Christmas magic. In my uh, front yard, we have a six foot tall Santa Claus, inflatable. And a couple of years ago, I was at work and Sarah and the kids were in the front yard playing and Dex began to strike Santa Claus with his fists um, repeatedly as if he was a, a punching bag. And mom says, uh, Dex, you know, you're gonna hurt Santa, you're gonna, you're gonna break him. Uh, and he just kept kind of Muhammad Ali-esque, just boxing Santa, and Santa begins to deflate. It was like the Wicked Witch of the West in The Wizard of Oz. I'm melting, I'm melting, what a world, what a world. And he's melting, and the air is deflating, and Dex is just so distraught by this. And Sarah says, well, you know, you shouldn't have been hitting Santa. You should have listened to mom. And so he's sad. He's upset. He thinks it's broken. And I get home from work and Sarah kind of has a heart to heart with Dex. And then we get in the car, we go to dinner and we come back and Santa is magically inflated all over again. Resurrection. And Dex goes, Santa, he's back. He's back. And Sarah says, must be Christmas magic. And Dex goes, yes, it's Christmas magic, and he's thrilled. And it could be Christmas magic, or it could have been that, uh, the, the timer that was on the socket for Santa. But we're going to stick with Christmas magic. Uh, this week, in my preparing for this message, and really for next weekend, I've read a lot about the, the Immaculate Conception, the Virgin Birth. And it seems for many, especially skeptics, that this is a tough pill to swallow, that Mary was a virgin, but it is central to the story. And even if you have a more scientific, kind of historical point of view or worldview, the virgin birth can and does speak to that. The incarnation speaks to the scientific worldview just as it does a more spiritual point of view. In his book, Miracles, C.S. Lewis writes this. In the Christian story, God descends and reascends. Jesus comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, further still, if embryologists are right, to recapitulate in the womb ancient and pre-human phases of life. Down to the very roots and seabed of nature he has created. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. What is C.S. Lewis saying? He is speaking to his scientific, scholarly brothers and sisters. He is saying that the journey of the human embryo appears to track through different phases in the history of evolution. Picture it this way. It begins with a single cell organism, a fertilized egg. That is how life begins. And then it moves on to, to two cell and then multiple cell organisms. And then finally you have what looks like a lizard type being. And this lizard apparently then turns into a fish that has gills and lives in water. It even has a tail. And then eventually it becomes a mammal and a human. So from an evolutionary point of view, the history of the fetus also is the history of life on this planet. Isn't that amazing? And whether you see that as symbolic or not, what C.S. Lewis is saying is that even if you do, that only 
makes the virgin birth all the more mind-blowing. Because it says that when God became human, he didn't just appear as an adult. He didn't just insert himself as a nine-month-old fetus into Mary's womb. He became a single-cell organism. He went through every phase of life for a fetus. And in so doing, God not only incarnates himself in the human experience, he incarnates himself with the entire history of life on this planet. The incarnation is bigger and better and miraculous than we can ever imagine. God says, I am the creator and you are the creation, but I'm going to fully enter into which I created. And I want to redeem and rescue it from the inside out. Just as a single cell organism growing into the savior of the world, God in a bod and not just in a bod in a single cell. The science of Christmas completely blows my mind. It's Christmas magic. And as we move towards Christmas, and as you celebrate with family and friends this week, be attentive to the Christmas magic all around you. The joy on a child's face, the laughter at the dinner table, the snow on the mountains above. Christmas magic, the familiar miracles that are always before us, often in uh, telling and retelling of the Christmas story, we zoom in on the characters. There's Mary, there's Joseph, there's the wise men, the magi, the shepherds. But the Bible doesn't really do that. It doesn't zoom in on the characters. Most of the time it zooms out and frames this story into the larger story of the people of God, the larger story of Israel. You see, Israel had been waiting for this day for nearly a thousand years. It took a thousand years since King David. What kept Israel going during those years of waiting? Hope. A thousand years waiting for the king that was to restore Israel. It was going to be the promised Messiah that was going to bring salvation. A thousand years. Hope is what kept them going. G.K. Chesterton says this, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. Barbara Brown Taylor writes, our waiting is not nothing. It is something, a very big something, because people tend to be shaped by whatever it is they are waiting for. And for Israel, they were waiting for the promised Messiah. And there were countless times where hope in the Messiah seemed futile. Each adversary that Israel faced over those thousand years was more powerful than the next. With each successive empire, the, the military tactics, the weaponry, and the size of the army became more powerful, more lethal. But powerful in the ways of the world. First, Israel was conquered by Assyria in 722. Then they were conquered by Babylon and sent into exile in 589. Then Babylon was conquered by Persia in 520. Persia was then conquered by the Greeks in 330. The Greeks were conquered by the Romans in 146. Each conquering nation stronger and more fierce than the next. And it is in the time of the Romans that Jesus arrives. 
much more powerful than all successive empires, but powerful in a new way, in a different way. But Israel didn't know how it was going to happen, when it was going to happen. They waited and hoped for a thousand years. And in those moments where their hope seemed futile, it felt like it was pouring. Right now, as I'm recording this, it is raining. It is pouring. Somewhere, there's an old man snoring. But whenever you heard the phrase, when it rains, it pours, uh, it was pouring on Israel for a thousand years. Uh, oppressive regime after oppressive regime. With no, uh, no Messiah in sight, yet hope remained. That first Christmas, it had been pouring on Israel for a thousand years. And it is in times like that when we feel like it is pouring, when the bills are insurmountable, when the relational conflicts seem to dominate our thoughts and our anxiety, when depression creeps in, when we feel like we can't keep going, we pray as the psalmist prays. As I sink in despair, my spirit ebbing away, you know how I'm feeling, know the danger I'm in, the traps hidden in my path. Look right, look left, there's not a soul who cares what happens. I'm up against it with no exit, bereft, Left alone, I cry out, God, call out, you're my last chance, my only hope for life. It is in times like this that the message of Christmas shines brightest. The night is darkest just before the dawn, just before the sun pierces through the dark sky. Because on an unexpected night, in an unexpected place, with unexpected night shift shepherds and an unexpected young Jewish couple, hope bursts forth onto the scene in the form of a baby on that first Christmas. Jesus becomes the most vulnerable to save the most vulnerable. And he did not arrive in power like the successive regimes that dominated Israel. There was no parade. There was no chariots. There was no armies. No, he became vulnerable to save the vulnerable, us. He did not arrive with a power over people. He arrived and demonstrated a power under people, a power to serve. And this kind of power will always conquer oppressive regimes and arrows that assail us. The power that Jesus gives us, the power that Jesus demonstrates is a power under others to serve the least of those around us. You see, King Herod at the time of Jesus had power, power to order the execution of all the newborn sons in Nazareth. He had power, but not power like Jesus. You see, Caesar, he had power, power over much of the known world, power an empire that extended further than any Caesar before them. But that's not the power of Jesus. It's nothing compared to the power of Jesus. Or think about it today, Oprah. Does Oprah have power? Yes, of course she does. She makes careers, Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, Gail, okay? If she endorses your book, it becomes a bestseller. She once bought 10% of Weight Watchers stock, and in a single day, the stock jumped 105%. Oprah has power, but not like Jesus. T. Swift, does Taylor Swift have power? Oh, unbelievable power, okay? If you date Taylor Swift and you break up with her, Taylor Swift, will write a song about you and everyone on earth will know the piece of scum that you are. I love her music, so I know this all too well. 
I was trying to explain to my brother how good the 10 minute version is of All Too Well. And he's like, I just don't get it. Not I get, well, you see, Taylor was dating Jake Gyllenhaal in 2010. And uh, he still has her scarf. And he's like, stop, stop talking. Taylor Swift has power, unbelievable power, but she's not Jesus. She can't save anybody. It's okay, Tay, shake it off. What about our boy, Big Ben? Benjamin Franklin on the $100 bill. Does he got power? You bet he's got power. People kill for Benjamins. People lose their families in pursuit of Benjamins. Some people spend all of their time praying about having more Benjamins. Does money have power? Yes, but it ain't Jesus. Because there is only one name in heaven and on earth that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And his name is Jesus, and he's the reason for the season. And to end our time together, I just want to read the Christmas story aloud. It will be on the screens as well, but could you have a contemplative heart to see the Christmas magic, to see the supernatural and the scientific coming together in the form of Jesus? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angel had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. God, give us eyes to see the miraculous all around us. Help us to marvel at the baby in the manger. The mission he had 
the love he showed in how you saved us. Help our lives to reflect the life and love you demonstrated in Jesus. In your name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us on Christmas Sunday here at Prodigal Church Fresno. This upcoming Friday is Christmas Eve, and we'll be having an online Christmas Eve service for you to watch with family and friends as you celebrate the birth of our Savior. And then on Sunday, December 26th, we are having an only online service as well, uh, a taking down Christmas service, if you will. And so we look forward to seeing you back in person on January 2nd. Um, and in the meantime, Merry Christmas.